Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. So today we're going to be talking about one of the really troubling symptoms for many of us with PCOS. And if you've read my book, Healing PCOS, and have followed me for a while, then you know that this is probably like my number one pain point that led me to look for answers outside of kind of the standard medical treatment for PCOS. And that is overwhelming fatigue. And I brought in today for my PCOS Diva podcast listeners, really what I think of as one of the best experts on overcoming fatigue and increasing your energy levels, and that is Ari Witten. So Ari, welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. Amy, It's a a real pleasure, and thank you for the kind words. Well, I want to just give our listeners a a little bit of um, background uh, about you. So you are a best-selling author, a nutrition and lifestyle expert, and the founder of The Energy Blueprint. You've been studying and teaching health science for over 20 years. You have a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology, and you recently completed coursework for your PhD in clinical psychology. And for the last five years, you've teamed up with world-renowned scientists and physicians to develop the Energy Blueprint System, which is a powerful evidence-based system for overcoming fatigue and increasing energy. So I'm excited for you to share with us you know, some of your insight and tips about helping, you know, women with PCOS increase our energy. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this stuff. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm deeply obsessed with the science in this area <laughs> around fatigue. And um, what, what really excites me about it is that there's, there's such a gap in our understanding, you know, common sorts of, of ideas that are out there uh, within the natural health space around the causes of fatigue and how to fix it, I think are um, very often extremely misguided and not connected very well to the science. And then, um, and then within conventional medicine, you know, well, just, just to give you a, a couple statistics, um, nine, so um, first of all, fatigue is an extremely common problem. There, the estimates are roughly 20 to um, 20 to 40% of the general population is dealing with mild to moderate chronic fatigue issues. 
And in, uh, among older people, one in three people say that they have severe fatigue. Okay. That's like fatigue. That's so severe that it's getting in the way of them living their daily life. And, um, so, so this is a, a, this is a huge epidemic. This is not a small problem. And here's the thing. When people go to their conventional doctors, uh, complaining about their fatigue and something like one out of every four or five doctor's visits is just due to, uh, largely due to just somebody dealing with chronic fatigue and not understanding why. So they go to their doctor, they expect that their doctor is going to have clear answers to their problems and going to be able to run a blood test and figure out what's going wrong with them and have really good solutions, you know, evidence-based solutions that are proven to work and be really effective. Here's the reality within conventional medicine. They, they, stay, they state very directly um, and, and, you know, this is in peer-reviewed medical journals on the subject. This is not my opinion. This is what they're saying. Uh, they state very directly, we do not know what causes fatigue. All we have are symptomatic treatments for the condition. The, the four main treatments that conventional ma- medicine has to offer for people dealing with chronic, mild, or moderate, or severe fatigue are, one, antidepressants. Two, a recommendation to start doing exercise, like going for walks during the day um, or 30 minutes of aerobic activity. And uh, stimulant pills and cognitive behavioral therapy. Those are the four treatments that they have to offer people dealing with fatigue. Um, Again, not my opinion. That's actually from a a literature review published in a peer-reviewed medical journal on the subject of fatigue and evidence-based conventional medical approaches to fatigue. Now, also, I'll add that you might think that, oh, they're going to do a blood test. That's going to identify what's going wrong with your health, and then they're going to have insight into how to fix it. They state directly in this literature review, 95% of blood tests come back either normal or do not have any findings that changes their course of treatment. In other words, that changes their simple recommendation, hey, take some antidepressants to, or, or do some exercise, do some cognitive behavioral therapy and take stimulant pills whenever you need them. Okay, so only in less than 5% of cases do they even find anything on your blood test that is useful in directing the course of treatment. So yeah, basically I'm very <laughs> obsessed with this topic and I love teaching about it because there are actually lots of great answers and great strategies that can help people suffering from fatigue. And um, this is a cool area for me because I get to build out that science and teach people all this novel information that they're not currently getting from their conventional doctor uh, or their uh, holistic health doctor, integrative or functional medicine doctor. Well, and thank goodness that there's people like you out there because I know many of my listeners have experienced that frustration of going to the doctor, having labs, only to be told, um, you know, that, you know, offered a pill uh, and and it's really not getting to the root cause of their fatigue, which I know is what you're hopefully going to be talking about, right? Yep. Yeah, I hope so too. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, do you you want me to get into that? Yeah, jump right in. Okay, so um, I'll first start by saying that, you know, what I was alluding to before, as far as within the holistic and natural health, functional medicine community, um, the focus has really been on cortisol 
and the adrenal glands and or the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And our story has really, really been centered on this sort of adrenal and cortisol narrative of why people get fatigue. And that the basic idea of this, for people unfamiliar with adrenal fatigue, is that um, chronic or stress basically taxes our adrenals. And one of the stress hormones is cortisol that's produced by our adrenal glands. And uh, so that's sort of an integral part of our stress response system. That's what our stress response system is all about, according to this narrative. And uh, with chronic stress, chronic stress sort of constantly taxes the system and then eventually drains it and exhausts the adrenal glands. And then you get low cortisol levels and then the low cortisol levels uh, eventually translate into fatigue and other symptoms like not being able to sleep at night or sugar and salt cravings and, and things of that nature. That's the basic gist of the adrenal fatigue summed up in a minute. Okay. Um, there's more nuances and more complexities on it, depending on who you talk to. And there's three phases or four phases or seven phases, depending on who you talk to. Um, but I have done, uh, basically the most extensive, review of the scientific literature on the subject of cortisol levels, adrenal function, and their relationship to the fatigue syndromes. And basically, uh, quite shockingly for, for most people in the natural health community, um, the, the research does not support the narrative of adrenal fatigue, basically in every way possible. Uh, what it clearly shows is that the vast majority of people with fatigue syndromes have perfectly normal cortisol levels and adrenal function. And there, there is no um, adrenal fatigue that's going on in the vast majority of people with these conditions. Uh, and, and in fact, there's no, um, there, there is no adrenal fatigue going on in pretty much any of them um, because the research doesn't support the idea of adrenal fatigue more broadly. Uh, it is possible to have some HPA axis dysfunction where you might have the most common finding is what's called a flattened diurnal curve. You have normal 24-hour cortisol levels but you have lower morning cortisol levels and higher evening cortisol levels. Yeah, which is and, interesting that you said that because a lot of women with PCOS do have that, that curve. Yeah, and actually it's not just women with PCOS. It's actually a large portion of the population more broadly, even people without any medical problems. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reason why is actually the most common cause of that is just circadian rhythm and sleep disruption. Um, it, is, it is nothing more in most cases, than just circadian rhythm and sleep disruption. And circadian rhythm, for those that don't know, is our body's 24-hour biological clock. It's a, it's a part of our brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus that responds to signals from the environment, most important of which is light signals, um, like from the sun. And in turn, that regulates our 24-hour rhythm. It regulates a whole bunch of neurotransmitters and hormones that affect our sleep and wake cycles more broadly. Obviously, our bodies go to sleep when it gets dark and wake up in the morning. That's not because you're choosing to do those things. It's because your biology and your circadian clock are dictating those neurotransmitter and hormone cycles that are causing you to sleep and wake at certain times uh, and also impacting on lots and lots and lots of other uh, neurotransmitters and hormones in our bodies that regulate all kinds of things um, from our energy levels to our metabolism, to our cognitive function, uh, to our thyroid health, uh, to our HPA axis 
So one of the things that's going on here is that um, if you look at a cortisol rhythm, what you notice is that it's supposed to go up in the morning and have a big spike in cortisol levels, and then it's supposed to decline the rest of the day and the evening and the night. And what that is telling you is that cortisol is, a, is one of the hormones that is controlled by the circadian rhythm. So when you disrupt circadian rhythm, you disrupt pretty much all of the hormones and neurotransmitters that are dependent on circadian, having a healthy circadian rhythm, and cortisol is one of them. So um, that's, well, that's, that's basically the, uh, the, the, the gist of it. The, the other aspect of this is that um, our modern world is basically perfectly designed to disrupt our circadian rhythm. Most of us are living indoor lives. We're not getting morning sunlight. We're not getting hardly any sunlight during the day. I mean, I know people, literally, a large portion of people, who almost never get outdoors and get, get sunlight um, on their bodies. And then in the evening, since the advent of electricity and artificial lighting, like cell phones and computer screens and TV screens and indoor lighting, et cetera, um, we now have light, specifically light in the blue, blue wavelengths. That's what our circadian clock responds to the most. Um, we now have that kind of light being emitted after the sun goes down from all of those indoor sources of light that are basically entering in our eyes and feeding back into that circadian clock in our brain and telling the circadian clock it's daytime, the time to be awake, alert, active, and energetic. Okay, And that, that in turn now disrupts your sleep cycle and what's yoked to the sleep cycle, the other side of the coin, is your energy levels during the daytime and your wakefulness during the daytime. So those are sleep and energy are two sides of the same coin that are linked by your circadian clock. When you live in the modern world that perfectly is designed to disrupt your circadian clock and the normal functioning of it, now you disturb your sleep, you have, you, which leads to an epidemic of sleep problems and insomnia, which we have in the modern world, and you have an epidemic of fatigue problems, which we also have in the modern world. And just to talk about, I'll, I'll just mention one mechanism of how this plays out. Well, I'll mention, I'll mention three mechanisms. I take it back. There's a lot more. There's maybe eight or nine. But um, <clears throat> one mechanism is neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and orexin. Orexin is not a neurotransmitter that most people have heard of, but it's actually our primary wakefulness and energy neurotransmitter in our brain, directly controlled by the circadian rhythm and how much and how deeply you slept. So what happens when you don't sleep enough? You feel tired the next day. Why? Well, there's several reasons, but orexin is a major reason why. Your body is intentionally making you tired so that as basically a protective response to being under-recovered and not getting enough sleep because your body doesn't want you to then have lots of energy and go expend a lot of energy and do a lot of hard mental and physical work that then puts you even deeper into a hole uh, and potentially causes more cellular damage. Another mechanism is there's research now showing that um, our brains actually detoxify at night. So for a long time, it was thought that there's no lymphatic system in the brain. Well, just in the last couple of years, it's been discovered that there is a lymphatic system in the brain. It's called the glymphatic system. Um, 
because it actually revolves around the glial cells in the spaces between neurons. And what happens at night while we're sleeping, if we have a strong circadian rhythm and we're sleeping enough and we're sleeping deeply, is that those spaces actually open up between our brain cells. And at night, and they've actually visualized this on, on, scanner, on scans in, um, in animal studies where they've injected like radioactive materials and then done a functional MRI to actually see this happening in the brain. Um, but basically, what you see during the night while they're sleeping is um, the, the radioactive materials are literally being drained out through spaces that open up in the brain while you're sleeping. So detoxification of your brain and cleanup of um, cellular junk and cellular damage, which is also sort of toxic material in the brain, that all happens during the night while we sleep. And then to mention one other one, um, melatonin is a hormone that most people have probably heard of. And they know melatonin as melatonin secreted by the pineal gland, and it's involved in helping us sleep. Okay, well, it also does something else that's really important that most people are not aware of. Melatonin goes into your cellular membranes and your mitochondrial membranes. Mitochondria are the energy generators in our cells, and it actually protects them from damage. Okay? So melatonin is a very, very, very powerful protector of our cellular membranes and our mitochondrial membranes, including the um, mitochondrial membranes in our brain cells, okay? which hopefully you get play a big role in not just your cognitive function, but also your energy levels. And what happens when you live in the modern world and you have lots of modern artificial lighting going into your eyes in the evenings when you shouldn't have blue light entering your eyes and you have that for hours every evening, day after day, week after week, month after month, decade after decade, is you're chronically suppressing the secretion of melatonin by your pineal gland. Okay, that, that light exposure directly suppresses the levels of melatonin that your brain is secreting. So when you, when you do that, when you have chronically lower levels of melatonin every day for years and decades, you are now preventing that melatonin from stabilizing and protecting your cellular and mitochondrial membranes from damage. And essentially, you're weakening them and, and predisposing to damage from other sources, from toxins, from stress, from... Um, whatever else in, from a poor diet, from all of the other factors in your, your nutrition and lifestyle and your environment that we know damage our body, well, look, suppressing your melatonin levels is basically stoking the flame. It's, it's basically pouring gasoline all over the, the, the wood, and then, then you have the toxic insults, the poor diet, the toxins in the environment, the poor gut health, and all these other factors that are then lighting that fire. Right? Does that all make sense? Oh, it's it's really fascinating. And you know, as you're talking, um, you know, I, I'm thinking a lot of women with PCOS have lower levels of neurotransmitters. It's been shown, especially serotonin um, and melatonin too, it, over women like non-women with PCOS. Um, I mean, non-PCOS women. So I wonder, you know, if we're just, you know, maybe that's why we're affected by by fatigue even more so just, just thinking to, out loud to myself. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very possible. Mm -hmm. um, I, I will say that I think that, that women with PCOS have a, 
definitely have more of an uphill battle than you know the, the average person who's perfectly healthy. But I think that it's perfectly possible to be extremely healthy, um, even with PCOS, and to have normal levels of most hormones and, and neurotransmitters and, and things like that. Yeah, and we're also finding out that melatonin is um, really helpful with ovarian function, too. So I think there's just so many other ways that melatonin helps us. Um, most, most definitely, yes. I only mentioned one, yeah. but um, you're, you're absolutely right. Melatonin plays a number of, of other very important roles. I think the, uh, the main thing I wanted to illustrate here is that you know, this is just one factor. Mm-hmm. That's just circadian rhythm. And what I just explained are just three mechanisms within the category of circadian rhythm. Um, there are many, many other factors that we could talk about within the category of circadian rhythm, cortisol being one of those factors. And then outside of that, there are many other factors that relate to our energy levels apart from circadian rhythm. So what I, what I just wanted to get across to people, and hopefully they, they got, is that um, you know, sometimes people will say to me after I debunk adrenal fatigue, um, and I've, I've written a very comprehensive review of all the literature on that subject, which I would encourage your, your listeners to um, go look through on my website if they're skeptical of my um, uh, analysis of adrenal fatigue. Go look at the research yourself. I've compiled all of the, every single study that's been done on the subject in the last 25 years. Um, and I literally mean every single study, and I've compiled that all with the actual screenshots, links to the studies, quotes from the studies, the actual screenshots of the cortisol levels in people with fatigue versus normal healthy people. I've laid out all of that data so that anyone can see for themselves and draw the obvious uh, conclusion for themselves. But um, what, what I wanted to really get across is that this story of fatigue and energy levels are not just a matter of your adrenals and your Mm -hmm. cortisol levels, very far from it. There are many, many dozens of other systems of the body uh, and, and factors that are involved in regulating our body's energy levels. So just a a quick question about um, the blue light that you mentioned. Um, do you think that the blue light blocking glasses that are kind of the hot thing right now, do you think that those are helpful? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a very uh, simple and easy um, thing that you can do every night that just flat out works. And there's plenty of research showing that it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and not only is there research showing it works, but there's an, a very obvious and known and widely accepted non-controversial physiological mechanism explaining exactly how it works, which is, which is basically what I said before, that after the sun goes down, if you want your circadian clock to work properly, you need to mimic the environment that your ancestors, that basically all of human evolution has taken place during, um, which is that there shouldn't be blue light entering your eyes after the sun goes down. Mm -hmm. So um, that, and we know blue light suppresses melatonin. So it's, it's totally non-controversial. There's, it's, it, yes, it's a, it's a popular trend, but it's one of the popular trends that um, is absolutely warranted and is supported by good evidence. And um, we know exactly how it works and, it, and we know that it does work. So I, I do think that that is a very, very smart thing to do. And then I think too, like I, I know I try to do it when the weather's warm, warmer. I mean, it's really cold in the mornings right now in New Hampshire, but 
getting out for a walk so that you could kind of expose yourself to some of that early sun. Um, that's something that I try to do. Yes. Yeah. So th those I would say are the two biggest um, easy and low cost strategies to dramatically improve your circadian rhythm health. Just morning light exposure, morning sunlight in your eyes, um, hopefully close to the sunrise or, you know, not super late in the day. Um, morning sunlight in your eyes, ideally within the first hour, but or ideally within the first half an hour uh, of waking up, and blue light blocker glasses um, within the last couple hours before bedtime. And actually, I don't want to get too, um, I don't want to digress into too many nuances here, but actually green light uh, wavelengths disturb the circadian clock as well. That's more of a recent discovery. And uh, blue light does suppresses melatonin the strongest, but green light does as well. So if you really want to have amazing sleep and see a dramatic, you know, uh, improvement in your sleep, uh, literally from the first night that you wear these glasses, um, you can get blue-green blockers, and they're a little bit more reddish-tinted glasses. And this is, this is something else I have an article on my site about if you are interested in looking it up. Um, but blue-green blocking glasses, there's a company called Safety Blue that makes uh, really excellent ones. There's another company called uh, True Dark that also makes them. Those, there's, there's a few other companies that make them, but they don't make the style that wraps around the eye socket. So the only two companies I really like and recommend are the, uh, the True Darks and the Safety Blues. And depending on your face structure, they may fit you differently. Um, but personally, I find that the Safety Blues fit my face a lot better. Oh, that, those are great tips. Thank you. So, so can you give us, um, in the time we have left, like some more insight into to fatigue? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that we were chatting about before we started recording is blood sugar levels. I want to make sure that I mention that because that's an issue for people with PCOS. Um, quick tips on blood sugar regulation. So, the, the, f most, the absolute most important thing is actually body composition. So if you are carrying a large excess of body fat, you are almost guaranteed to have some degree of insulin resistance. Now, everybody has what's called their own personal fat threshold, which is the extent to which they can pile on excess body fat um, before they start getting insulin resistance. But um, and, and what that means is some people will start to get insulin resistance with you know, only when they've, when they've put on a, a very large amount of excess body fat and other people will start to get insulin resistance at much lower levels of body fat, uh, depending on their personal fat threshold. So, but, but either way, lowering your body fat levels um, through dietary and, uh, and other lifestyle interventions uh, can be a very, very powerful way to get your blood sugar levels under control. So that's one thing. Um, getting processed food out of the diet, I, you know, I'm not necessarily advocating any particular macronutrient ratio of the diet, but what I will say is that getting processed food out of your diet and focusing on food quality and focusing on, instead of focusing on just carbs and fats, focus on eating foods that are known to be associated with good health outcomes in humans. So what I mean by that is, like, let's say 
um, lard or um, refined oils? Like, are those reliably associated with really good health outcomes in humans? Not so much. Um, but other fat-containing foods are things like nuts and seeds, things like avocados, things like olives or olive oil. Yes, absolutely. Same, same for carbs, like are donuts and soda and potato chips reliably associated with good health outcomes in humans? No. Does that mean all carbs are bad? No, absolutely not. Blueberries and lentils and lots and lots of other uh, carb-containing foods, many other colorful plant foods that are rich in carbs, um, are absolutely associated with wonderful health outcomes and great blood sugar regulation and even the elimination of, uh, of type 2 diabetes. So um, focus on those things. So body composition, getting trading processed foods for foods that are specifically associated with good health outcomes. Um, rather than macronutrients, rather than carbs to fat, focus on eating super healthy foods. And uh, in addition to that, in all of your meals, you want to shoot for at least 15 or 20 grams of protein in all of your meals. So one of the big problems with blood sugar regulation is uh, people who are consuming meals that are either all carbs or mostly fat or mostly carbs and fats with very little protein. So getting the protein up in those meals makes a big difference for stabilizing your blood sugar. In addition, I'll also mention that it helps um, support one of the neurotransmitters I mentioned before called orexin in the brain. So if you suffer from fatigue after your meals, one of the biggest problems that's, going, that's causing that is suppression of orexin levels in your brain. Protein helps prevent that suppression of orexin. In other words, it helps keep your energy strong after eating. Um, a few other things that I'll mention here, going for a brief 10 or 15 minute walk after your meals can make a huge difference in your blood sugar regulation. It's another really great factor. Uh, it doesn't have to be intense exercise. It just a gentle walk is, will, will do wonders for your blood sugar regulation after eating. Um, another couple factors I'll mention, one is vinegar. There's actually uh, amazing research showing that taking vinegar in your meals or before your meals uh, can make a big difference. Another thing I'll mention is if you consume the protein and the leafy non-starchy vegetables at the beginning of your meal, that will also blunt the blood sugar rise from that meal. So that's another factor. Um, let's see what else. Uh, the only other thing I can think of here is uh, Maybe um, using supplements like berberin or um, cinnamon. Uh, cinnamon. You can use cinnamon extract or cinnamon. Just make sure you use real cinnamon, Ceylon cinnamon. Um, and both of those things can also help blood sugar regulation as well. And, and if you really, if you combine all of those things that I just mentioned, you can pretty much eliminate uh, any blood sugar issues. Yeah, those all great tips, Ari. And um, you know, if you want more information about reducing insulin resistance, um, I've written a lot about that on PCOS Diva. But I, for me, the the blood sugar issue was was one of, and, and the insulin resistance was something that was really driving my fatigue. Um, yeah, as well as sleep. I mean, I had two two little babies at the time too, and I know the sleep dysregulation was a real problem as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> Having a baby and being chronically sleep deprived will definitely cause fatigue. Yes. <laughs> so um, we have about five more minutes. Anything else that you, um, you know, some quick tips, anything else you wanted to mention before we talk a little bit more about your master, I'm going to tease it, your master class, free master class that's coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so much more we could talk about. Um, but I will say, let's see, where, five minutes, where do I want to go? Um, I would say, let, let me say this. So the, the, the two biggest factors that I think you need to focus on if you want to fix your fatigue are not the adrenals and your cortisol levels, but your brain and your mitochondrial health. Now, when it comes to and, and actually, they're very much intertwined. Mitochondrial health is very much at the center of brain health as well. Now, with, with that in mind, if we're focusing on our mitochondria, which are, again, for people who, who have never heard that term or don't know what they are, those are the actual energy generators inside of your cells. That's what's responsible for producing energy level, energy at the cellular level. And, um, you know, basically, what fatigue problems are... Uh, are, are not, um, they're, they're really not anything other than just a, a failure to produce enough energy at the cellular level. And when that's happening to a significant enough degree, you actually feel as a whole, as a person that's composed of trillions of cells, which are not producing enough energy, you feel fatigue. Okay. So how do we improve our mitochondrial health? Well, there's lots of different ways, certainly good nutrition, good circadian rhythm. I already mentioned the link with melatonin. Um, circadian rhythm and sleep are certainly a big factor. Gut health is certainly a big factor. Toxins, there are many, many toxins in the environment that are directly toxic to mitochondrial health. So things like um, heavy metals and BPA and glyphosate uh, and fluoride and others. Um, but there's one other big factor that most people rarely talk about which is something called hormesis. And hormesis is basically the concept of transient metabolic stress. Now, most people hear that word stress, and they immediately assume, oh, stress, stress is bad. I, I got to avoid stress. Okay, well, chronic psychological stress is bad. And chronic, you know, there's other kinds of chronic stressors that are bad, chronic exposure to toxins is, is generally going to be bad for you. Um, but outside of those chronic exposure to toxic forms of stress, there actually is another category of types of stressors that are profoundly beneficial. And within the aging research community, uh, I, I happen to know of some longevity and aging researchers who literally believe that hormesis, which is almost rarely ever talked about and very little known within the natural health community, shockingly, they talk about hormesis as being the single most important thing to do for disease prevention and longevity. And I will also argue it is pretty much the single most important thing to do for overcoming fatigue uh, and increasing your energy levels. Transient metabolic stress. So if that sounds like a weird concept, just consider exercise physical exercise. So we know that doing exercise regularly is associated with not just improvements in muscle health or cardiovascular health, but is associated with 
protection from dozens of different diseases, uh, is associated with improved brain health and cognitive function, improved mood, fights depression, fights anxiety, fights neurological disease, um, fights almost every chronic disease that you can think of. Now, why? Well, it turns out it's not because exercise is intrinsically healthful. It's exercise is a stressor. It's a transient metabolic stressor. It is a form of hormesis or a hormetic stressor. And basically what it's doing is by introducing that transient metabolic stress, you are actually creating free radicals in your body at the cellular level. You're creating a big spike of inflammation and free radicals, which most people have been taught to believe are bad. Well, when they're chronically present, they can certainly be bad, but transient spikes of free radicals, like with exercise and like some of the other forms of hormesis uh, that we can talk about, um, actually stimulates a mechanism inside of your cells and inside of your mitochondria called, it's called the NRF2 path, pathway or NERF2 pathway. And it stimulates something called the ARE, which stands for antioxidant response element. Now, that pathway does a few different things. One is that it builds up the internal antioxidant defense system inside of your cells, which is hundreds or thousands of times more important and more potent than any antioxidants that you would take uh, orally in the form of supplements. Um, it protects your mitochondria from oxidative damage, which is one of the key drivers of aging and disease and fatigue, and it protects them against inflammation. In addition, it also, this is almost like a magic trick, it actually stimulates your mitochondria to grow bigger and stronger, and it stimulates your cells to grow more mitochondria from scratch, something called mitochondrial biogenesis. So, um, you literally make more mitochondria in the process and you make more robust mitochondria. Um, now, that are capable, just to be clear, to complete that thought, bigger, stronger mitochondria and more mitochondria that are capable of producing lots more energy and that are capable of responding to other types of stress, whether they be um, toxins or psychological stress or any other type of stress, responding to them without getting damaged and while easily able, while being easily able to adapt and maintain homeostasis, okay, because you've built up that ARE, that internal antioxidant response element. So this relates to something that I call the resilience threshold. And what that means is essentially the bigger and stronger your mitochondria are and the more of them that you have, the easier time that your body will have uh, when exposed to stressors, adapting to stressors, and maintaining homeostasis, and not incurring uh, damage at the cellular and mitochondrial level, again, which is the key driver of aging, disease, and fatigue. So um, basically, building up your mitochondria is, is really, really important through these types of transient hormetic stressors. Exercise is just one of them, just to name a few others. Heat exposure, like saunas, cold exposure, fasting, phytochemicals, most people think of as antioxidants, quote unquote. They're actually not. They're primarily what are called xenohormetic stressors. They, they function actually in most cases as pro-oxidants, 
Um, and they stimulate that same NERF2 pathway that is stimulated by things like exercise and fasting and sauna exposure. And um, also uh, red and near-infrared light, which is a topic I've written a book about that I highly recommend looking into, very, very powerful medicine. Uh, and several other categories, for example, like hypoxia hormesis, which, for example, would, would be uh, breath-holding practices that also creates a powerful stimulus to grow uh, bigger, stronger mitochondria. So there are a number of things in that category that can be really, really powerful and beneficial um, ways of building up your mitochondria, building up your resiliency, and making your cells, literally rewiring your cells to be able to produce more energy. Really such fascinating info. I'm, I'm just so glad that you <laughs> shared that all with us. Um, it's something that you're just, not that many people are talking about, as you mentioned. And, you know, I tell PCUSD this, that knowledge is power. And I think what Ari just said about exercise, and you know, he kind of went in depth about exercise, really changes um, kind of your mindset for your next workout. So you're not just thinking, I'm going to burn off the calories from, you know, the, the burger that I just ate or whatever it might be. It's, it's really, I'm going strengthen and um, increase the mitochondria in my body to, to keep me from aging and, you know, aging slower and to, um, you know, increase my energy. I mean, that's definitely gets me motivated. 100%. I'm, I'm with you. And it also changes if it, by changing the attitude that you bring into it, it changes how you think about what you should be doing. So if the goal is just burning calories, then you're going to burn calories however you want. If you want to boost your mitochondrial health in the most powerful way, well, there are specific ways of doing exercise that are better at that than, than others. And, um, but in particular, without getting into the details of the types and ways of doing the exercise, one thing that I'll say is in order to create that stimulus for adaptation, to stimulate your body to say, wow, we need to change. We need to grow bigger, stronger mitochondria. We need to grow new mitochondria from scratch. The exercise needs to be at a level of intensity that is challenging your body. Um, if there's no challenge to the body, if you're not subjectively feeling that that workout has really challenged you, uh, then your body is not going to have a stimulus to create any new adaptations. It's just going to say, hey, that, that was a nice workout, but you know we're already well enough adapted, adapted to deal with that level of stress um, quite well. So we don't need to invest any more resources into creating new mitochondria or, or anything like that. So um, just challenging your body to a significant degree makes a big difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I would love for you to tell us how we can um, learn more from you. And, uh, you know, I know you have your website, theenergyblueprint.com, and I will post that in the show notes. But I know that you have, um, you know, a really valuable resource um, that you're going to sh share uh, very soon. It's well, tell us about it. It's your free masterclass. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a four-video masterclass series that is coming out. Uh, it'll only be available one time in 2019, and it is coming out on April 4th. So that's going to be from April 4th to uh, April 14th. 
and it is going to cover in amazing depth with tons of very practical, very novel information that I've given you guys just a little taste of here. Um, it, it's going to be absolutely epic, mind-blowing content. You guys are going to love it. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not, you know, sort of, um, it's not content that's just fluff because I'm holding back all my all my real secrets. This is really great content that you guys are going to get that's going to blow your mind. Uh, and it starts on April 4th. And we will post a link is to that masterclass in the show notes as well. Right. Um, and also um, a link to your book. Can you just tell us the name of your book um, about the red light? Yeah, it's called The Ultimate Guide to Red Light Therapy. And, uh, and then the subtitle, I forget the exact order of the words, but this, the subtitle <laughs> is um, How to Use Red and Near Infrared Light Therapy for um, Brain Optimization, Fat Loss, Anti-Aging, and More. Uh, so that is a wonderful book on Amazon. Uh, I've sold since I released it in July of last year or June of last year. Uh, it sold, uh, I think like 35,000 copies and, wow, uh, congratulations. Yeah. And, and people are loving it. It's got like over 370 reviews and, uh, and basically it's the best book that exists on that subject outside of actual medical textbooks that are meant for, um, practitioners and scientists. This is the best book on the subject um, that's meant for the general public. And it tells you exactly what are the benefits of it, how the, me the physiological mechanisms of how it works, and um, exactly how to use it and what devices are the best devices to get, mm -hmm. which is important because there's, there's a lot of garbage devices on the market that are just wastes of money. Um, but there's a few brands that make really high quality devices. And uh, I, I explain how to do all of that in that book. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and really enlightening us that there is so much more. I mean, and like you said, we just really scratched the surface today um, of tools for your PCOS Diva Toolkit to help um, increase your energy, you know, outside of what we talked about in the beginning of the, the podcast. Um, you know, the stimulants and antidepressants and exercise, although, ex you know, now we know why exercise is so helpful. Um, th this has just been really great that you've taken time out of your day to share with us, Ari. Yeah, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love this stuff. I'm, I will happily teach this stuff all day long, every day. So uh, um, it, it's not taking time out of my day. It's, this is what I love. So thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm going to be looking forward to following your, your masterclass on April 4th. I can't wait. Wonderful. And thank, thank you. Yeah, and I, and I hope that everyone listening will take advantage of it, too. It's really a, you know, a great opportunity to learn straight from you know, one of the top experts on fatigue and increasing energy. So uh, um, thank you for listening, PCOS Divas, and I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye-bye. that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. 
And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCUSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.